Hello, welcome to Wellbeing. I'm Graham Wilson. Today we're going to take another look at women's health and specifically a global program under the auspices of the George Institute for Global Health in Sydney. Kelly Thompson is the manager of the Global Women's Health Program and research fellow with the Division of Critical Care and Trauma and the Australian Sepsis Network. And she joins us to talk about women's health and we'll get to know her a little first by talking about her research. Thanks for joining us today, Kelly. Thank you, Graham. You've stated that you're passionate about achieving health equality for disadvantaged populations, including women and girls worldwide. What led you into that? Why are you so passionate about that? A worthy cause, I might add. Uh, Yes, absolutely. I think uh, gender equity at the minute is um, at the forefront of the world. Um, I think we saw with International Women's Day recently, um, the theme was Press for Progress. Um, and which is a nice reminder um, that there is a long uh, list of things to do before we're to achieve gender equality. So that's sort of what drives my, my passion, um, improving, improving gender equality worldwide. And specifically in terms of my own uh, research program, I, I am interested uh, in sepsis, which a lot of people haven't heard of, is the body's response to infection uh, when it gets out of control um, and the tissues and organs start shutting down. And a part of my research program into sepsis will be looking at uh, sex differences between outcomes for men and women, um, looking at uh, whether there are differences in the outcomes between men and women that survive septic shock and sepsis, looking at things like uh, mortality, looking at their quality of life uh, about six months down the track, uh, and looking at their healthcare resource use. Okay. So what can be allocated better, for instance? You've already noticed some some areas where the imbalance can be redressed? No, we haven't, because I think uh, the, the sex and gendered analysis field in my area of research, which is critical care, is, is really untouched, which is why I'm really excited about exploring this um, for patients with sepsis. Um, but, of course, there are other areas uh, of research, particularly cardiovascular disease where the sex and gendered analyses uh, focus is, is already well established and they're finding lots of uh, differences between men and women in both um, presentations for disease and, and outcomes as well. Hmm. For instance, I didn't realise till I was doing a bit of reading for this interview that women don't seek help for a heart attack as quickly as men might, which really surprised me. Absolutely. And that's some of the research that... Um, Mark Woodward and Sana Peters focus on, and they're our leading sort of cardiovascular sex differences research people, and they've produced a lot of stuff. They did that apple-shaped body for women, so looking at the waist-to-hip ratio Mm. um, and finding that that was a higher indicator uh, rather than BMI, the body mass index, which was always traditionally used in predicting uh, myocardial infarction in both men and women, but um, even more... Robin Norton, the co-founder of the George Institute for Global Health, says that in her lifetime we've witnessed significant strides in advancing collective rights, health and well-being of women around the globe. But she goes on to say that while a lot of focus at one time was put on improving sexual and reproductive health for women, the women's health agenda should move now from a predominant focus on our reproductive organs, she says, while we reframe the discussion of women's health 
such that the focus expands to include women's whole bodies. Is this something that you would take on board too and say, here, here? Uh, yes, absolutely. We know that the um, leading cause of death among women globally, and they estimate for at least the past three decades, um, has been non-communicable diseases. And probably a good idea just to define, because I know not a lot of people know what uh, non-communicable disease is, um, but that sort of refers to chronic diseases such as heart disease, uh, stroke, all cardiovascular diseases really, um, things like diabetes, Alzheimer's as well, just to make that clear. Mm. But yes, I definitely second and hear, hear that to Robin Norton. Why did the focus need at one stage to be on reproductive health specifically? Was that because of a worldwide problem or you know, were some societies affected more than others by that? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the maternal mortality rate and infant mortality rate um, was previously much higher. I think it was the Millennium Development Goals, um, which were really focused on improving maternal and um, child health. And there's been a lot of progress made there. And it's still obviously in countries such as those in sub-Saharan Africa, there's a long way to go. That's where we see the highest rates of infant mortality and maternal mortality within the world, but a, but a lot of progress has been made in other countries. Um, and then sort of with that, we're seeing the increase in bad outcomes from non-communicable diseases to the point where non-communicable diseases are actually the leading cause of death worldwide for women. So what needs to change now? If the focus moves, what will happen? If the focus moves, I, th I think it's, it's moved a lo lot already in high-income countries. You know, we see... A lot of focus on, you know, healthy living, um, not smoking, uh, maintaining a healthy diet and exercising regularly. Um, and I, I think that's pretty dominant in a lot of the health promotion programs we see around Australia. And I'm sure in many other high-income countries, it's, it's much the same. And the cause, obviously, is um, lifestyle, whether it be that sedentary or perhaps eating the wrong kind of foods. Absolutely, yep. Yeah. What are the aims of the Global Women's Health Program? I guess the overall aims of the program is to have impact and to improve the health and well-being of women worldwide. Um, I think it's really important to acknowledge that the context for the health of women varies depending on where a woman, woman is in the world. Um, so as it's a global program, it's been not a challenge, but it's been taken a lot of consideration and thought as to where we can have the most impact as a global health organisation. Uh, so at this stage, the Global Women's Health Program, which we're leading from the George Institute, we're, we're a research institute, obviously, so research will always be our main focus. Um, but we've got three sort of research pillars that we want to focus in on. Um, the first one being uh, a life course approach to women and non-communicable disease. Um, and this sort of recognises the long-term consequences of non-communicable diseases and the consequences of acute complications and events from prior to birth uh, through to post-menopause. We sort of want to intervene to prevent um, the development of non-communicable disease and ad adverse health trajectories for women, um, which arise from early events in life, like things such as pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So the life course approach, it kind of advocates for a better integration of healthcare and NCD prevention throughout a woman's whole life. Is that um, predominantly an education-based program? 
it would be healthcare research, so there would be interventional uh, research done. Uh, we do have a, a senior research fellow, uh, Amanda Henry. She's based at the UNSW and works with us also. She's an obstetrician and gynaecologist, and her research focuses around pregnant women um, who are at risk for developing non-communicable disease. Um, so looking at um, you know risk, what their risk factors are and how to intervene to prevent them from going on to develop um, non-communicable disease. Right. So you're doing research along those lines, and that's one pillar. Yeah. yeah. So we have we have three. So the second pillar um, of the program focuses on sex and gendered analyses, and I think here um, important to recognise there is a difference between sex and gender, where sex refers to um, the way I like to think of it is sex refers to males and females, so your biological sex based on reproductive organs. Mm -hmm. And gendered analyses is a much broader concept. Um, so the way I think of uh, gender is the state of being male or female, and it's it sort of is used within re the reference to the um, social and cultural differences um, as opposed to biological ones. So that kind of recognises that gender may be viewed differently in different contexts in different parts of the world based on the role of women and men. Do you have people on the ground, as it were, in many cultures to feed into this research? Oh, absolutely. We're a huge global health institute. It's, we've got uh, offices. We have two offices in India. We have an office in China, and we are also based with Oxford in the UK. We have a George Institute um, office in Oxford, um, and of course the Sydney offices. So we have about 600, over 600 people um, around the world, um, and that's the Institute's uh, main focus of research, but we, we, we actually conduct research in, in many other countries through various programs. For example, um, there is a program that's running looking at drowning in Bangladesh and injuries and things like that and, and these sort of things which impact more heavily upon women. You mentioned Africa earlier and I know at one stage we had, we didn't have Catherine Hamlin who, you know, famous for the, the hospital on the river in Ethiopia, the fistula hospital. But Yes, I've read that book. Yeah, what a wonderful story. The, mm. the plight of those women, that's very specific to their region. And I mean, it's the tyranny of distance. They don't have help there. But it's also the culture largely feeds into that as well too, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. A big thing with us is, you know, even in our offices in India, a lot of the research, and this isn't uh, specific to women's health research, but has focused on developing innovative technologies um, that recognise that there is large populations that do not live um, within reach of healthcare facilities. And will a result of your research be making recommendations on that sort of situation? Uh, in terms of accessing health Yes. Care. We're early days in our program, but we do have, for the Women's Health Program, we do have a, a, a project coming out of in India, which is looking at um, women's menstruation habits um, and sort of the environmental effects of what women do with their um, sanitary products and things like that. So it will be based on the research that we're doing and as we grow the program um, definitely we would like to be influencing policy uh, changes in in the various regions where we do our research
So sex and gender analysis was the, the second pillar. And the third pillar? The third pillar we want to focus on is, um, it's a bit of a new area for us at the George, um, but it's women-specific health issues. And the way I like to define this is either um, issues that exclusively affect women by the virtue of their biology, for example, menstrual disorders, as I just mentioned, that project we'll be doing um, in India, or one of our researchers will be leading in India, um, or conditions that affect women um, greatly and to a disproportionate degree, for example, domestic violence, sexual harassment and sexual assault. So NCD research, sex and gender analysis, and women-specific or exclusive women's conditions. And uh, as a bundle, you put all that together how? What's the program entail? The program will be, the research will be conducted under the three themes. You know, there will be a lot of groundwork to be done, I assume, particularly in the women-specific health issues, as I said, when you're in that area. And we'll need to do a lot of background research to gather the data. We have a, a project which um, one of our Australian researchers, uh, Dr Patricia Cullen, is leading and she's looking at femicide, um, which is death due to violence against women. And her sort of project will be sort of documenting the epidemiology and looking at, you know, the coroner's uh, database to have a look at risk factors for women um, who have been um, killed due to domestic violence. Um, so we can get a big uh, picture of the scene as it currently is and then think about what kind of interventions are needed to um, address the problem. It would be a problem in some societies more than others, I would expect. Absolutely, but I think um, I went and saw a play recently that Emily Barclay was in at the Sydney Theatre Company and it reminded me of this statistic that even in Australia um, we see one death per week um, of a woman due to domestic violence, which is, which is huge still. You're listening to Wellbeing and... Kelly Thompson is our guest from the George Institute for Global Health. She's manager of the Global Women's Health Program and research fellow with the Division of Critical Care and Trauma and the Australian Sepsis Network. As we wrap up, Kelly, it's always good to be reminded of what we can do for our health. It seems we hear so often, you need to eat better, exercise more, and you think, oh, that old stuff again. I've heard all of that. And we don't do it. <laughs> What's... What's the way through with all of that and how important are those things that we keep hearing? Incredibly important, I would say. Um, as you know, I'm not an expert in the, the field of cardiovascular health myself, but I, but I think it's fairly common knowledge now that we should all eat well, exercise more, not smoke, um, drink less. But also I like to think about um, the well-being aspect of things as as well and you know what we can do and I think this is particularly important for women and, and something that came out of one of our planning days is that a lot of women within our institute are actually really interested in looking at women's mental health um, and the effect of different stresses in life on women's health um, so I think taking care of yourself um, not only in terms of your uh, diet and exercise regime which are which are really commonly well understood now, um, but also looking to a broader spectrum of health and focusing in on um, well-being in terms of mental health as well. You know, 
it's easy for people to say, well, look, we've all got to die of something. You know, if, if the heart disease won't get you, the diabetes will. But there's something that's not often spoken about in this discussion, and that is the years of potential life lost. You know, why live with so many years of disease towards the end of your life if that's preventable? Is that a significant thing to be talking about in terms of women's health? Definitely. I guess in, for the economic argument, there are different ways to measure quality of life and um, quality-adjusted life years and um, disability-adjusted life years, which is used in low- and middle-income countries usually. But I think uh, there should be value placed upon how long you can live at optimal health mm. um, as opposed to living for, for years and years with uh, chronic disease or non-communicable disease. Um, and not having a good quality of life. So I guess in um, leading on from my last, the last question um, would be looking at uh, things which address improving the quality of life, which I think is a mix of all these lifestyle um, and wellbeing interventions and activities that we can do to improve our, our overall health and wellbeing. Will your research be focusing on the cost for um, governments to implement health reform? Uh, my research specifically actually is economics um, okay. focused. Mm -hmm. um, and that's about the, the sepsis piece, which is the um, uncontrolled infection. It's a, yep. a huge burden uh, in Australia and in many, many, many countries of the world. Um, and the implications uh, for sepsis in terms of its costs, and we don't have solid figures, we do have some published figures on, on the cost of sepsis, but it's a huge cost to not only people that have to survive, um, you know, socially and economically, um, but also to the Australian government and the healthcare systems because enormous cost, I think it's about 40,000 40, um, on average per episode just while the patient's in an ICU. So, you know, if we can prevent not only for women, but men and women, if we can prevent uh, things like sepsis and, of course, other non-communicable diseases, which I haven't measured myself, um, but we would see a lot of cost savings to the government. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Graham. Bye now. Right, bye. bye, bye. I've been speaking with Kelly Thompson from the George Institute for Global Health. She's manager of the Global Women's Health Program and research fellow with the Division of Critical Care and Trauma and the Australian Sepsis Network. Thanks for listening. I'm Graham Wilson, and all of us at Wellbeing wish you well.